You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 60 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson. SMSF Advisor is an online publication by Momentum Media covering updates and news for the SMSF industry. One of the journalists writing for SMSF Advisor is Miranda Brownlee. Miranda writes about 20 news stories a week, all about matters affecting the SMSF industry. I asked Miranda what happened around SMSFs in May 2018. Here's her answer. May saw a whole spate of different changes. We had the federal budget, which saw about seven or eight changes affecting the SMSF sector. There's been updates from the ATO, compliance action from ASIC and other sorts of government announcements in addition to the budget as well. Here's a recap about some of the things we've been reporting on. There was a lot of changes that came out of the federal budget this year. While none of them were really major, some of them will affect certain groups within the SMSF community. One of those was the change to the three-year SMSF audit cycle. That's obviously had quite a backlash from the auditor community, as you can imagine. Some of the issues that have been raised by auditors are that if there's unintentional errors that get made by trustees, it could snowball into larger compliance issues. Because it takes three years to pick up that something is wrong. It'll go unnoticed and it could become... I guess, a more significant problem, that it's going to be a bit of a feast and famine type scenario for audit firms, unless they do interim audits. The backlash has been so great that some audit firms, well, and auditors, have decided to form their own lobby group to oppose the measure. Although some tax practitioners are really supportive of the change, on the other hand, so there's sort of a bit of a mix of Attitudes. Can you remember how this came about? Did the ATO uh, consult the industry or was it just, just came out of the blue? It's actually quite out of the blue. No one really understands who lobbied for it or where it came from. One of the other significant changes would be the extension of the SOSF um, members. So currently you can obviously only have four in a SMSF, so that's going to be extended to six. Um, that sort of got announced before the budget in a bit of a pre-budget leak, I suppose. And that's had, I'd say, mostly a positive sort of reaction from our readers, but there is sort of some issues there that would need to be addressed as well. So they'll be mainly around the whole estate planning space in terms of it depends who has the control and the fund, I guess. So some people have said you could have potential elder abuse issues even where the kids, the adult children, have control of the fund and sort of control what the parent can do with their money. Where you had step families, you could have lots of disputes and fights over money. I guess the more people, the more potential for conflict. 
Yeah, some tax agents and lawyers have sort of raised that. They've said you should even be careful with four members as opposed to the more typical two-member fund where it's a two SMSF members because it can raise some of those issues. Is a pre-leak like an unofficial consultation or how does a leak come about? Um, it is a little bit like that. Often what will happen is the politicians look to sort of Test the um, expose it in, through perhaps like a mainstream paper or something like that to sort of test the waters a little bit. And I, my guess is that's probably what's happened with this particular one. Yeah. Do you ever receive a leak? Um, on, on occasion, but I think it's more something they prefer to get out to the wider public as opposed to a trade publication. Work test got extended, so um, it's not a massive change, but there'll be essentially an extra year where people can contribute to their super fund. And some people have noted that It is a little bit limited because you can only do it if you're below There's 300,000. 300, yes, correct. And obviously it would only be for people between 65 and 74. The SG opt-out, which was definitely something that was well-received, um, it's only something that would really affect high-income earners, this issue, because they where they have multiple employers they might breach their contributions cap so the government has brought in the ability to be able to elect not to receive it from certain employers and that's generally been something that the SMSF community thought was a positive step. The ATO has brought out a few just admin details about how they can apply for it um, so they just need to submit an application 60 days before the start of the quarter that the exemption will apply to, and they obviously just need to arrange it with their employers. I guess when they arrange it with their employers, they need to be careful that they are still going to be compensated for the salary that would have gone towards their super. That's something that a few tax agents have flagged as well. And uh, the last thing I just wanted to mention on the budget that came out of that was the some of the changes to fees and charges and insurance for super members who are 25 or younger or they have an active accounts. The insurance is going to have to be an opt-in arrangement rather than just automatic. So SMSFs that are holding APRA funds for the insurance benefits, just need to be careful that they still have that insurance in place. Yes, if they if they want it, you know, because I think there's also um, a lot of criticism criticism about insurances in in super in that it eats up the balance with high premiums. With the lower contribution caps as well, that's something that they need to think about. Large APRA funds can only charge certain fees on funds, especially for those with low income as well. One of the other things that the government has announced recently is that it has now released the details of the victims of crime proposals around accessing super. 
So that's to do with where a person is a victim of a crime, they may be able to access a perpetrator's superannuation to cover their compensation, which is quite a change from what it was previously. That I suppose there's been a few different views raised on that. Some people obviously see it as a very positive development in that there will be easier access to get funds for victims. But on the other hand, some practitioners or professionals in the super space have said that there's a need to protect families of perpetrators. So it may negatively impact their family, even though they weren't the ones that necessarily did the crime. There were also some sort of minor changes that still could affect the SMSF space. So that was to do with testamentary trusts. So there's been some small changes with how minors can apply the tax rate to their the income that's coming from the fund. And there have also been some reforms, well, proposals for reforms to help reunite lost super accounts with the active accounts of certain members. So that'll just help consolidate all the sort of missing funds that are lying around out there. So on the regulator front, there's also been a fair bit of activity in the past month or so. So ASIC has continued to keep a close eye on SMSF auditors. One example of this is it cancelled the registrations of 117 SMSF auditors because they failed to lodge their outstanding annual statements. Is that just in the months of May that 117 registrations were cancelled? Yes, that was just in that part of that year. So extrapolate that to a full year. That could easily hit close to ten percent. Then, if it you know if it kept kept going at that rate, exactly. Um, and they're definitely facing a lot of headwinds at the moment. Earlier this year, we heard about the new ASIC funding model. A lot of them weren't happy about the excessive fee hikes that were associated with that. I believe that might have only been for auditors that were becoming registered or those that are leaving, but. It's obviously still a hindrance to enter that kind of industry. And there's also this new three-year audit rule that they're potentially going to be faced with as well. So it would be interesting to see sort of what happens in that SMSF audit space. One of the other things that ASIC has done recently is release the findings of its SMSF advice review. So... Mostly that was a good reflection of the industry, you could say. They said that there wasn't any systemic concerns around the provision of unlicensed SMSF advice, although they did flag a few issues in terms of accountants still having advertising that said that they did SMSF advice. Um, so that was something they sort of flagged as needing to accountants need to fix up. So another thing that ASIC announced recently was the findings of its SMSF advice review, which was mostly a positive reflection of the SMSF industry 
in that they didn't find any systemic concerns around the provision of unlicensed SMSF advice, although they did flag a few issues around advertising or materials on websites with accountants still saying that they provided SMSF advice when in reality it's not a service they provide anymore, although mostly it was positive findings. So another major report that was released was the Productivity Commission report. This had more of a sort of scathing review of the SMSF advice space. It said that the quality of SMSF advice was questionable, although a few of our commenters have sort of questioned some of the research that they formed that view on in terms of the surveys and the references that were included in the report. So I guess it depends how you view that data and whether that's really a full reflection of the whole sector. On the ATO front, they have brought out a few different announcements on things and flagged different issues. Uh, One of them is high balance SMSFs. So speaking at the Tax Institute conference, Acting ATO Commissioner Tara McLaughlin mentioned that the ATO would be looking a bit more closely at higher value SMSFs purely because of the transfer balance cap and the total superannuation balance and that they will just be using some benchmarking and things like that to monitor them. One of the other announcements that the ATO made was that it was working on a fix for a double counting issue with market link pensions. This was an issue that was first raised by Gemma Sanderson from Cooper Partners. So the issue is that where people are looking to commute one of those pensions and start a new one, under an ATO view, it's going to be counted twice with a transfer balance cap, which obviously could be quite problematic for some trustees. So they are working with Treasury to come up with a fix for that. Gearing up to the deadline at the moment for T-bar reporting, there's been plenty happening, even though it is so close to that deadline. So one of the things that has been significant is at first the ATO mentioned that SMSFs might have to report the accumulation phase value as well as the pension phase value for that first T-bar report. But they ended up revising that review later, a few weeks later, to say that the accumulation phase value would only need to be reported where it was one of those legacy pensions because that's really where the issues lie. So for an ordinary account-based pension, they won't need to do that. So the rate of T-bar reporting has been fairly slow so far, although a lot of the industry commentators and SMSF practitioners say that's due to the fact that the software wasn't really able to do the bulk exchange data reporting, which allows them to do multiple reports at one time. So they've all kind of been waiting for that. They've also been swamped doing CGT schedules, so that sort of slowed everything down with that. 
It was interesting also because class released some findings showing that SSF lodgements were behind as well. So probably on both fronts, um, SSF practitioners are really trying to get it all done before the deadline. Yes. yes, but I can imagine, I mean, it's just a gut feeling, but I can imagine that the ATO will be lenient with the T-bar reporting. You know, it's a, it's a big thing. The technology is not really 100% ready yet on the ATO side as well as on the software provider side. So I can imagine there will be a lot of leniency in this first year. Yes, I'm sure a lot of SRSF professionals would be hoping so, in, especially if things do end up running late. I'm sure they would hope that the ATO would show some leniency. And that is something they've mentioned before, that in the first year they wouldn't be too overly hard on the compliance side where people fail to meet their obligations. Yes, so some firms, on the other hand, have been very proactive with the quarterly reporting. They actually plan to implement that across their whole SMSF client base. So that was the finding that came out of a poll conducted by Smarter SMSF, and it found that there was a small group of practitioners that are actually got the technology ready to just do quarterly reporting across the board. Yeah, and it's probably less work to just report everybody quarterly than to constantly work out who needs to report quarterly and who needs to report annually. Yeah, it's probably a better long-term solution um, in terms of making it more efficient. Both the ATO and SMSF professionals have highlighted that The more regularly you do it, the more beneficial it is to clients as they won't miss going over their cap so they won't end up with excess transfer balance determinations. So there's also been a few end of financial year items that have been flagged. So one of those is that it could be traps with the lodgement extension in terms of if it's extended then there'll be more time to deal with the commutation CGT relief. But on the other hand, they're going to have less time to finalise everything before they go into the next financial year, which could create issues around the transfer balance cap and, I guess, potential excess non-concessional contributions as well. Just the confusion around CGT, while a lot of practitioners do have their head around it now. There's this few items that are still causing confusion. One of those is where there's a change in the nature of an asset. So that might be where you had an option and then the SMSF trustee acted on the option and it converted to another kind of product. Um, the ATO have said in that instance that you wouldn't be able to claim the CGT. And there's also been some confusion around whether you could claim it if somebody had bought a property before that November date and then it settled afterwards, so it was technically in the pre-commencement period. So that's the main items that have been happening in May. There's been a few different updates across the board and plenty of legislative changes. Uh, There's been compliance updates and obviously as usual practitioners have been looking for different kind of strategies for the end of financial year so that's a wrap-up of it all 
Welcome back. It is frightening how many changes there are. Just one month and just around super. A tiny area of law when you think about it. In the next episode, episode 61, Bradley Beer of BMT will talk about property depreciation. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.